Malcolm is going to be leading uh, our thoughts later on. He's going to be encouraging us from the word of God, and in particular from Jesus' words in John 13, where Jesus sets us an example of humility and service. And it's that example of humility and service that we think about as we sing these words. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. It's great to see you all here today. Um, We've got lots of visitors. You're all very welcome to be with us. Chris and Hannah, it's good to see you again. It's nice to have Dave and Lisa with Amelia and Imogen. It's good to see Heather and Jess and Caitlin. They've actually now moved into Wormston, so they are now technically Manchester residents, so it's good to see you. I'm sure we're seeing lots of you now. Um, Matt and Amy, it's good to see you here again this morning. Alicia, welcome. Uh, Benedict, I think, just sneaked in. Hi there. And anybody else who I've not had a chance to welcome, hello. It's good to see you this morning. I pray you have a good morning with us. Anne Curtin is unable to undergo a hip operation in the near future, at least, and has had an injection in her hip, which has been helpful, but Anne is still not able to get about very much. Anne has also had a reaction to some medication, which has made her fingers very sore. She remains cheerful and is pleased to hear from her brothers and sisters. Patricia has improved a good deal this week, and it's really lovely to see you here this morning, Patricia. Andrew has received some good news at the hospital this week. He was told that the radiotherapy he had earlier this year seems to have worked and his blood tests results are all very encouraging. So he wishes to praise the Lord for this news. One is about the same and is struggling to read until he is prescribed some new glasses. Ian and Marion and Gladys remain in our thoughts and prayers as do all our sick and poorly members. Uh, Andrew rang me this morning. He had a good chat with his... uh, Rob Mills yesterday, uh, he's very positive, he's halfway through his programme of chemotherapy and now appreciates the prayers and messages he has received. Rob may have to have an operation in a few weeks but he's coping very well. He says a big thank you for all the lovely meals he has been receiving but now feels he can sort his meals from now on. I'm sure Rob will let us know if he needs help again in the future. He was at his sister's wedding on Friday where he was an usher and also read. Rob hopes to be through Rob hopes to be through all his treatment by Christmas. So that's all good encouraging about Rob. Uh, and the final one, um Ewald saw Malcolm Richards in the last week. Uh, he says hello to us all and sends his love to us. So that was good to hear from Malcolm. Thank you, Richard. So now is an opportunity in our service to pray and bring before God all those people that Steve mentioned um, in reading at our care news. Is there anybody else that you would like us to pray for this morning? So we've shared lots of people. Um, We've heard lots of names and cause for joy and sorrow in different measures. We're going to spend some time now um, silently in prayer together to think about all those people, to think about the concerns and troubles that are on our own hearts and bring them before God as well. And after that time of silent prayer, um, I'd like you to join in me with saying the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us together. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for hearing us as we have brought all these people, our joys and our sorrows before you. 
And now, in your name, we pray together the prayer that our Saviour Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. This is a really good song to sing at any point in a service, in celebration of the power of God, but also in asking God to be with us in the changing circumstances of our life. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Malcolm's going to be speaking to us after we share bread and wine together um, and drawing some of his thoughts from John chapter 13. Sylvia is going to come and read that for us now. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares his bread, who shares my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, 
you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. So we've read John's story of how Jesus, even in the face of his approaching death, put his disciples first and asked us to follow his example and serve each other, brother and sister. And so we come to remember Jesus in his self-sacrifice, in going to the cross and the grave, and then rising in glory to give us hope of a resurrection life with him, both now and in the future. And so we will come together and share this bread and wine and remember all these things. It's not in the bread, but in the breaking, that the mystery of God's story is told. It's not in the seed, but in the dying. Not in the treasure, but in the digging for it. It's not in the mountain, but in its moving. 
It's not in the wine, but in the pouring out, that a new world is purchased for the weary. It's not in the cross, but in the crucified. Not in the nails, but in the nailing. It's not in the grave, but in the rising from it. It's in the giving that the gift becomes life. It's in the living that the word becomes flesh. It's in this taking, this receiving, this sharing of a supper, this pointing to a future that is promised and paid for and pressed into our hands. It's in this everyday mealtime miracle that the universe is born to a new life. Mark is going to come and offer our prayer of thanks for the bread that we're about to share. Abba, Father, reading again the events of 2,000 years ago, one can feel the angst, the fear, the confusion in your children, the disciples, as they looked to their world changing and not knowing what tomorrow held, not understanding the Lord, his love, how they should respond to that. And 2,000 years on, Father, I'm not sure always how much has changed within all of us as we look to the wonder of your love, the love of our Lord. And the response that that should drive within us to change us thank you father for this bread that this time as well that we can come and we can be with you in quietness in safety without fear to pray to fellowship to sing to remember Bless us in our remembrance, Lord, that we can be moved deep within ourselves to rise up and bless you and that by your grace continue to be changed both now and forevermore into those people that will bring you ultimate glory forever. Amen. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Chris is going to come and offer our thanks for the wine. Father God, who but you could take a cup of pain and make it a cup of blessing? Lord Jesus, who but you could take a sip of wine and make it mean so much to so many? One shared sip to remind us that you love us still. Forgive us still. Want us still to be your servant friends. What can we do in this moment but offer you ourselves in the drinking? Amen.
Jesus says, In very truth I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. We'll reflect on Jesus' words to us that we heard in that reading from John chapter 13 by singing together a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Last Malcolm to come and encourage us from God's word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, One of my... um, favorite stories um, is about a teacher uh, who had a a very innovative uh, way of getting her students to think. And she had a a junior uh, class and she stood before the class uh, one day and said, if someone can tell me who the most influential person in history was, I'll give them 10 pounds. Well, one child uh, raised his hand and said, Winston Churchill. And she said, that's a good try, but that's wrong. And another child raised his hand and said, William Pitt. And she said again, good try, but that's wrong. And in the back of the class, there was a, there was a Jewish boy. And he raised his hand and he said, I know who it was. And the teacher said, who? And he said, it was Jesus Christ. And she said, that's right. And she walked back and gave him the £10. And then as she walked back to the front, she turned and she said, that's interesting that you, a Jew, would say that Jesus Christ was the most influential man in history. To which the boy responded, well, in my heart, I knew it was Moses, but business is business. (laughs) A lot of times, when we want to get something done, it boils down to simply the philosophy, ignore your heart, and business is business. But today, I'm going to talk about the theme of greatness and what true greatness is. And I think to understand greatness, it's not business is business. It's not climbing the ladder to get the profit. It's an example found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And if you'd open your Bibles uh, to this story, we'll read just uh, again some of it. We read in verse 1, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'd like us to highlight three points from this story. First of all, the problem of this story, that the disciples were playing king of the mountain. Secondly, the solution uh, Jesus demonstrates, the attitude of a servant. And thirdly, the application for us. Keep your feet on the ground. Don't think of ourselves more highly than we should. You know, the great philosophy of the world in which we live is might is right. And you settle conflict with a fight. Got an argument? Be strong. Got a debate going on? Don't back down. You don't have to watch late night TV to see this, do you? Perhaps you can see it in the living room when a husband and a wife know that someone needs to speak to, to break this cold war that's going on between them. But neither one of them will because it's some admission of failure and a statement of weakness. Or I've seen it in boardrooms. Perhaps some of you have as well. They don't point guns, but they point fingers. And rather than fix the problem, they want to affix the blame. And you know what? Not only are there shootouts in living rooms and gunfights in boardrooms, but there's perhaps even uh, standoffs in church foyers now and again. I know that's harder for you to believe, but I've seen them. I've seen one person mad because they didn't get their way, and another person incensed because they didn't like what is happening. And they stand, and soon the bullets are going to fly. Not real bullets, but fiery ammunition of words and accusations and names. And when it's all over, someone's going to be hurt and someone's going to be standing. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Nothing is going to be resolved because that's not the way to resolve conflict. Jesus shows us the way to resolve conflict. You might say, Malcolm, I didn't read any conflict in that story. I know that you didn't, 
That's why I just reached over into the gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke, and pulled out a verse in the parallel account that you need to read in order to understand what's happened. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. This is the night that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Last Supper. It's just a matter of hours, in just a matter of hours, Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane and the house of, house of Caiaphas and the palace of Pilate and then on the hill of Calvary. He knows that within 15 hours, he's going to be dead. This is the Last Supper. The disciples are seated at the table. But just look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. Luke 22 and verse 24. Here's what the disciples are discussing as they sit at the table with Jesus for the last time. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you imagine Peter saying, I'm really the most important because I walked on the water. And John saying, I'm really more important than you because I sit beside him all the time. And on and on it goes. It's an argument. It's a conflict. And so Jesus, in demonstrating how to deal with this conflict, stands up and throws his fork on the table and says, enough's enough. That's not what he does, does he? He doesn't do that. It's what we might do. He doesn't yell or preach at them. You know what he does? You see, in the days of, of Jesus, the streets were very dusty. And the shoes were very thin. And the sandals provided no protection or very little for the feet. And so it was customary as a person came into a house for a servant of that house to meet that person and regardless of who they were with a basin and a pitcher. And there was a basin and a pitcher at the entrance of every house. And this house was no exception. And the servant would come and before that person would go in to eat, he would sit on a chair and the servant would lean down and loosen the thongs of his sandals and take them off and gently sponge those hot, tired feet with cool water. Cleanse the feet. It was the job of a servant. Now the house that Jesus and the disciples are at is a borrowed house. And there's no servant. No servant to, to do the job. And so the disciples come in one by one and the basin and the pitcher stand at the entrance to, to the door. But nobody touches them. Everybody looks, but nobody touches. They all know that somebody should do it, but nobody does. In fact, they're not interested in picking up the towel. Instead, they're very interested in picking up the throne. They're not very interested in, in the towel and so, until, sometime during the meal, Jesus gets up and goes over. And don't you know, all the discussing and the bickering gets very quiet as Jesus walked over and began to pour out the water and came and began to wash the feet. And you know what he did? He took off his outer clothing 
That means he had it on a, a loincloth. It wasn't like us, perhaps brethren, it would be perhaps like us brethren standing up in front of everyone here in our football shorts. It wasn't a very proud position. It was the dress of an oriental slave. And he got down on his knees and he began to wash their feet. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there's a place, there's always a place for a servant. I don't care what situation you might be in. Have any of you, I know I did as a child, ever played King of the Mountain when you were a child? Remember how much room there is at the top? How many kings are there in the game, King of the Mountain? Only one. And he or she doesn't last very long. But let me tell you something I learned a lot about from playing King of the Mountain. There's not much room at the top, but there's a lot of room down at the bottom. Down at the bottom, nobody gets pushed or shoved. All the fighting is going on on the hill. So if you don't go on the hill, you don't get pushed around. Jesus says the way to deal with King of the Mountain is just don't play it. Don't get sucked into the game. And every one of you brothers and sisters are going to find the game King of the Mountain. I love the story about the Trappist Monastery. One of those places where the monks took a a vow of silence. And one of the, the monks passed a note to the abbot, the one in charge, saying, I would like to speak after breakfast. And so the abbot said, okay, one sentence. So this monk stood up in front of the other monks and he said, I hate oatmeal. Well, a year passed and no one spoke. And then a second one came up to the abbot and handed a note. And he said, I'd like to share a word. So he stood up in front of the other monks and said, I hate oatmeal. Well, a year passed and still no one spoke until finally a third one came up to the abbot and said he would like to share a word. So he stood up in front of the other monks and he said, I'm sick and tired of all this bickering about oatmeal. I don't care who you are, brothers and sisters. You're going to find people bickering about something. You're not going to find an environment where king of the mountain is not being played. You can't find it. All you can do is change the way you play the game. Jesus says, surprise the socks off them. When everybody else is playing, you get off the hill. When everyone else is complaining, you apologize. When everyone else is demanding their rights, you surrender yours. How do you do that? Well, just look at, at the story. We find, I think we find three secrets to the heart of humility. First of all, there is quiet confidence. I just want you to look at this verse. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things 
under his power. And they had come from God and was returning to God. He knew that all the power in all the world had been given to him. So he didn't have to show off. Listen, brothers and sisters. I don't say many smart things, but perhaps this one might be. Arrogance is the child of insecurity. Arrogance is the child of insecurity. Anytime you find anyone, anybody arrogant or boasting, don't take them seriously because deep inside there's a hollow hole of insecurity. It's kind of like the story about the couple that were at a dinner party and all the men were on one side and all the women were on the other. And all the men were boasting about the fish that they'd caught that summer. And this one wife noticed, however, that her husband didn't say anything while the other men were spreading their hands showing the size of the fish. His hands were always in his pockets. And on the way home, she said, How come I didn't catch you over there bragging about catching fish? He said, because I caught some. You see, if you really have it, you don't have to show it. If it's really there, you don't have to demonstrate it. And if it's really there, people will know it. And more importantly, if it is really there, you can do the riskiest thing in the room. You can be the first to apologize. You can be the first one to serve Because you know, what you have is what really matters and can be never taken away from you. And you're not fighting over pride or territory because your pride and territory is with the Lord. Genuine, quiet confidence. Then after that comes genuine kindness. When you know you're right and you don't push it. This is what happened in verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Genuine kindness. Genuine kindness. He didn't say, okay, let's all take turns in washing one another's feet. He said, I think I'll just do it, and I'll perform this act of mercy. Now, folks, I don't think you need to bring a water basin and a pitcher into your next argument. Nor do I believe that to literally serve your neighbour, do you need to wash their feet? Though perhaps it wouldn't wouldn't hurt. But instead of a, a water basin or a pitcher, you might try a lawnmower, You might try a letter, you might try a phone call, you might try a visit to the hospital. You might just forget about yourself and serve them with a genuine act of kindness. Now an attitude of a servant is not only quiet confidence and genuine kindness, but it's also a deep conviction. You see, humility comes when you know your convictions and you don't compromise them. 
I think this is very important. So please just hear this, because often we leave the impression that a servant is a, a spineless sort of wimpy character who just kind of floats around and doesn't stand for anything. But Jesus, while he was washing feet, hears Peter say, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus looks up and looked at him. And I want you to know, I think that look was a, a stern one because he was communicating a symbolic point. He replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. He's saying the same thing to us. If you do not let me forgive you, your sins, you're not forgiven. If you do not let me cleanse you, you're not cleansed. You can't do it on, it, on your own. I think there's firmness in the voice of Jesus. Even though he's on his knees, there's a conviction that he will not compromise. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, being a servant does not mean, mean that you enable other people to live an evil life. If your husband can't control the checkbook, you're not being a, a servant by just saying, well, he's the man of the house, I'm going to let him do it. If somebody you know is falling away from the faith and their life is shipwrecked, I don't think you're being a servant by being silent. And just kind of be very specific. Meekness is not weakness. An act of service is an act of courage. And that when you see wrong, you speak out against it. Whether it's in your family, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your college. I don't mean you call attention to yourself and do something bizarre. I mean you just stand for what is right. And you have some convictions and you will not sell them down the river. You see, the heart of the servant, quiet confidence, genuine kindness and deep conviction. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? How how do we take this home? How does this make sense to you this afternoon and tomorrow, perhaps when you go to work or to college or school? What's the application? Let me tell you, I think it's a very personal application. Maybe perhaps you've heard the story about the farmer who went up to his friend and said, if you had two fields, could I uh, grow crops in one? And the farmer said, sure. And he said, if you had two tractors, could I borrow one? And he said, sure. And if you had two houses, could I live in the other one? And he said, sure. And he said, if you had two horses, could I borrow one? And he said, no way. And the fellow said, why not? Because I have two horses. There is no doubt in my mind that you've been, had you been at the Last Supper, how many of you, including myself, would have got up to wash the feet of Jesus? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you have two horses. You have an opportunity to put it into practice. Apply this. How? Well, perhaps number one, live the message you teach. Live the message you teach. That's what Jesus says. Be accountable 
and live this message. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Can we get very practical here, brothers and sisters? Be the first to apologize. Be the first in the office to volunteer for the work that no one else wants to do. Be the first to serve, because it is by serving that you discover that the greatest joy of being like him. And then the second point. And as you're serving, respect the people you serve. Respect the people you serve. In other words, do it with a good attitude. Jesus says, listen, the servant is not greater than the master. The teacher is not greater than the pupil. There are different roles, but they have no different value. We're all in this of equal importance to God. So enjoy it, because there's no greater joy than the joy of serving someone. I might have told you this story before a long time ago, but it's one of my favourites. Chad, about Chad. He could tell you. Chad is a, a little junior school boy who didn't have a friend in the whole class. He had some handicaps that not only didn't make him other kids draw close to him, but they even mocked him. And it broke his mother's heart because every day when Chad was coming home from school, she would always see all the other kids laughing and joking with one another. And there was little Chad, always 15 paces behind, walking alone. So one day in January, he came to his mother and he said, Mum, I want to make Valentine's cards for everyone in the class. And she just kind of shook her head and said to herself, Oh, Chad, don't do this. They'll laugh at you. They'll mock you. They'll do something to hurt your feelings. But he was determined. So for three weeks, this mum and a little boy, Chad, made personalised Valentine's cards. 35 kids in the class, individualised, cut out, drawn upon cards. And finally, when Valentine's Day came, he woke up and he had his sack of cards and he went to school and all day long his mum was worrying. She was afraid that they would not receive him well. And sure enough, she was washing dishes she looked up and saw all the kids coming home from school. And there was this um, same group of boys and girls laughing and joking, and there was Chad with his hands rent. And she thought to herself, I've got to be prepared for when he comes in. And so she went to get some of his favourite snacks. And the door opened, and she heard the little boy say, Not a one, Mum! Not a one, Mum. And she turned around and expected to see a tear-filled face. But he was beaming. He was smiling. He said, Not a one, Mum. I didn't forget a single one. I didn't forget a single one. That's the joy in the heart of a servant. Got some disagreement in your house? Got some people with different agendas at work. You know what they are. Learn a lesson 
from the king and serve. God bless you. We'll draw our worship and remembrance this morning to a close by singing together from Praise the Lord, hymn 189. And after we've sung this together, John Downer is going to come and offer our closing prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and in humility to serve my brother first. Dear Holy Father, dear Father, we come to thank you for so many rich blessings. All sorts of things we we thank you for each other and all the things you give us every day. Father, thank you for being the God that you are, the Father who comes down to our level and visits us very ordinary people. You don't just visit kings and prophets and priests, but ordinary people like us. We are valuable to you. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and showing us your Father and showing us the kind of love that he feels for us. Lord, the problem I have is that my ego always seems to get in the way. You know that, Lord. And I guess that's true of each one of us. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you will help each one of us, help us to overcome our egos. It's so difficult, Lord. It's easier to sort of resist just a straightforward temptation, but our egos are about ourselves, our standing before each other, how we look in our own eyes. Father, help us to overcome our egos and to serve one another and to love one another, Lord, as you love us. Lord Jesus, please be with us. I know that you are. You're with us all the time. Be with us to help us to be servants, to be loving, to care for each other. Lord, thank you for all your rich blessings and go with us now. Amen.